Hi, I'm Rick Ryman, host of Audibly Speaking, a show on the stories behind the stories of our time. By sounding out on these stories, we give voice to them and hear them for the first time. From the news of the day to history and literature, from audiobooks to leaders on the stump, we examine the backstories of our time, audibly speaking. The podcast today commemorates Constitution Day 2021 at South Georgia State College. We need reminders that the Constitution is a living, breathing document, alive with meaning for the trials and tribulations of our time and of all times. This year, for only the fourth time in our history, and the second time in the last two years, the impeachment clause of the Constitution was resuscitated and, in being litigated in an approved vote of the House of Representatives and in a Senate trial, made notable a year that has been extraordinary for a number of unprecedented events directly related to the United States Constitution. Rather than review all of those events here, I want to provide an excerpt from a speech delivered in 1974, as timely today as it was then, by Texas Congresswoman Barbara Jordan. In July of that year, Representative Jordan, an African-American of just 37 years of age, who had already been a civil rights leader and advisor to President Lyndon Johnson, and the first female African-American governor serving as Texas governor for one day in 1972, delivered her view of the impeachment power in a speech that is considered one of the finest in American congressional history. Masterfully, she managed to define and make clear the purposes and dimensions of the Constitution's impeachment power and Richard Nixon's guilt in violating it by focusing primarily not on Nixon, but on the Constitution itself. She also spoke to the importance of the Constitution to people of color like her, people unrecognized by the framers, but honored equally by the evolution of the Constitution, the Constitution in her time and in ours. So join me in revisiting Barbara Jordan's definition of the reasons why a special exception to the separation of powers, namely impeachment, was necessary for the preservation of the Constitution. Here, Congressman Jordan speaks in the historic session of the House Judiciary Committee in July 1974 that approved articles of impeachment against President Richard M. Nixon. I recognize the gentlelady from Texas, Ms. Jordan, the purpose of general debate, not to exceed a period of 15 minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Ms. Jordan. Mr. Chairman, I join my colleague, Mr. Rangel, in thanking you for giving the junior members of this committee the glorious opportunity of sharing the pain of this inquiry. Mr. Chairman, you are a strong man, and it has not been easy, but we have tried as best we can to give you uh, as much assistance as possible. Earlier today, we heard the beginning of the preamble to the Constitution of the United States. We the people. It's a very eloquent beginning. But when that document was 
completed on the 17th of September in 1787, I was not included in that we the people. I felt somehow for many years that George Washington and Alexander Hamilton just left me out by mistake. But through the process of amendment, interpretation, and court decision, I have finally been included in We the People. Today, I am an inquisitor, and hyperbole would not be fictional and would not overstate the solemnness that I feel right now. My faith in the Constitution is whole, it is complete, it is total. And I am not going to sit here and be an idle spectator to the diminution, the subversion, the destruction of the Constitution. Who can so properly be the inquisitors for the nation as the representatives of the nation themselves? The subjects of its jurisdiction are those offenses which proceed from the misconduct of public men. And that's what we're talking about. In other words, from the abuse or violation of some public trust. It is wrong, I suggest, it is a misreading of the Constitution for any member here to assert that for a member to vote for an article of impeachment means that that member must be convinced that the president should be removed from office. The Constitution doesn't say that. The powers relating to impeachment are an essential check in the hands of the body, the legislature, against and upon the encroachments of the executive. The division between the two branches of the legislature, the House and the Senate, assigning to the one the right to accuse and to the other the right to judge. The framers of this Constitution were very astute. They did not make the accusers and the judges and the judges the same person. We know the nature of impeachment. We've been talking about it a while now. It is chiefly designed for the president and his high ministers to somehow be called into account. It is designed to bridle the executive if he engages in excesses. It is designed as a method of national inquest into the conduct of public men. The framers confided in the Congress the power, if need be, to remove the president in order to strike a delicate balance between a president swollen with power and grown tyrannical and preservation of the independence of the executive. The nature of impeachment, a narrowly channeled exception to the separation of powers maxim. The Federal Convention of 1787 said that. It limited impeachment to high crimes and misdemeanors and discounted and opposed the term maladministration. It is to be used only for great misdemeanors, so it was said in the North Carolina Ratification Convention. And in the Virginia Ratification Convention, we do not trust our liberty to a particular branch. We need one branch to check the other. No one need be afraid. The North Carolina Ratification Convention, no one need be afraid that officers who commit oppression will pass with immunity. 
prosecutions of impeachments will seldom fail to agitate the passions of the whole community, said Hamilton in the Federalist Papers number 65. We divide into parties, more or less friendly or inimical to the accused. I do not mean political parties in that sense. The drawing of political lines goes to the motivation behind impeachment, but impeachment must proceed within the confines of the constitutional term, high crime and misdemeanors. Of the impeachment process, it was Woodrow Wilson who said that nothing short of the grossest offenses against the plain law of the land will suffice to give them speed and effectiveness. Indignation so great as to overgrow party interest may secure a conviction but nothing else can. Common sense would be revolted if we engaged upon this process for petty reasons. Congress has a lot to do. Appropriations, tax reform, health insurance, campaign finance reform, housing, environmental protection, energy sufficiency, mass transportation, pettiness, cannot be allowed to stand in the face of such overwhelming problems. So today we're not being petty. We're trying to be big because the task we have before us is a big one. This morning, in a discussion of the evidence, we're told that the evidence which purports to support the allegations of misuse of the CIA by the president is thin. We're told that that evidence is insufficient. What that recital of the evidence this morning did not include is what the president did know on June the 23rd, 1972. The president did know that it was Republican money, that it was money from the committee for the re-election of the president, which was found in the possession of one of the burglars arrested on June the 17th. What the president did know on the 23rd of June was the prior activities of E. Howard Hunt, which included his participation in the break-in of Daniel Ellsberg's psychiatrist, which included Howard Hunt's participation in the Dita Beard ITT affair, which included Howard Hunt's fabrication of cables designed to discredit the Kennedy administration. We were further cautioned today that perhaps these proceedings ought to be delayed because certainly there would be new evidence forthcoming from the President of the United States. There has not even been an obfuscated indication that this committee would receive any additional materials from the President. The committee subpoena is outstanding, and if the President wants to supply that material, the committee sits here. The fact is that on yesterday, the American people waited with great anxiety for eight hours, not knowing whether their president would obey an order of the Supreme Court of the United States. At this point, I would like to juxtapose a few of the impeachment criteria with some of the actions the president has engaged in. Impeachment criteria, James Madison, from the Virginia ratification 
Convention. If the president be connected in any suspicious manner with any person and there be grounds to believe that he will shelter him, he may be impeached. We have heard time and time again that the evidence reflects the payment to defendants, money. The president had knowledge that these funds were being paid and these were funds collected for the 1972 presidential campaign. We know that the president met with Mr. Henry Peterson 27 times to discuss matters related to Watergate and immediately thereafter met with the very persons who were implicated in the information Mr. Peterson was receiving. The words are, if the president is connected in any suspicious manner with any person and there be grounds to believe that he will shelter that person he may be impeached. Just a story. Impeachment is, attended, is intended for occasional and extraordinary cases where a superior power acting for the whole people is put into operation to protect their rights and rescue their liberties from violations. We know about the Houston plan we know about the break-in of the psychiatrist's office. We know that there was absolute, complete direction on September 3rd, indicated that a surreptitious entry had been made in Dr. Fielding's office after having met with Mr. Ehrlichman and Mr. Young. Protect their rights, rescue their liberties from violations. The Carolina Ratification Convention impeachment criteria, those are impeachable who behave amiss or betray their public trust. Beginning shortly after the Watergate break-in and continuing to the present time, the president has engaged in a series of public statements and actions designed to thwart the lawful investigation by government prosecutors. Moreover, the president has made public announcements and assertions bearing on the Watergate case, which the evidence will show he knew to be false. These assertions, false assertions, impeachable, those who misbehave, those who behave amiss or betray the public trust. James Madison again at the Constitutional Convention, a president is impeachable if he attempts to subvert the Constitution, the Constitution charges the president with the task of taking care that the laws be faithfully executed. And yet, the president has counseled his aides to commit perjury, willfully disregard the secrecy of grand jury proceedings, conceal surreptitious entry, attempt to compromise a federal judge while publicly displaying its cooperation with the processes of criminal justice. A president is impeachable if he attempts to subvert the Constitution. If the impeachment provision in the Constitution of the United States will not reach the offenses charged here, then perhaps that 18th century Constitution should be abandoned to a 20th century paper shredder. Has the president committed offenses and planned and directed and acquiesced in a, con in a course of conduct which the Constitution will not tolerate,
That's the question. We know that. We know the question. We should now forthwith proceed to answer the question. Throughout the rest of her life, Barbara Jordan viewed her causes through the prism of the Constitution. She demonstrated time and time again that she believed that people could speak with passion about issues while still putting reason first in the order of a person's priorities. She chaired the U.S. Commission on Immigration Reform and took a middle-of-the-road position, supporting some immigration restriction as consistent with common sense and the Constitution. About the time of her Watergate speech, she developed multiple sclerosis, which worsened over time and contributed to her death at the age of 59 in 1996. President Bill Clinton had wanted to nominate her to the Supreme Court, but her health problems prevented this from happening. She was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1994. In 1976, Barbara Jordan was the first African-American woman to deliver a keynote speech at the Democratic National Convention that year. A passage of this speech spoke of a nation torn by disunity and is as fresh and appropriate now as when it was delivered in 1976. We close this podcast episode with this excerpt from Barbara Jordan's 1976 speech. Many fear the future, many are distrustful of their leaders and believe that their voices are never heard. Many seek only to satisfy their private work wants, to satisfy their private interests. But this is the great danger America faces, that we will cease to be one nation and become instead a collection of interest groups, city against suburb, region against region, individual against individual, each seeking to satisfy private wants. If that happens, who then will speak for America? Who then will speak for the common good this is the question which must be answered in 1976. Are we to be one people bound together by common spirit, sharing in a common endeavor, or will we become a divided nation? For all of its uncertainty, we cannot leave the future. We must not become the new Puritans and reject our society. We must address and master the future together. It can be done if we restore the belief that we share a sense of national community, that we share a common national endeavor. It can be done. There is no executive order. There is no law that can require the American people to form a national community. This we must do as individuals. And if we do it as individuals, there is no president of the United States who can veto that decision. That's it for today's episode of audiblyspeaking.com. 
New podcast episodes appear on audiblyspeaking.com approximately once every two weeks. Please subscribe to Audibly Speaking on iTunes or whatever podcast aggregator you enjoy. Until next time, this is Rick Ryman. Happy listening.